Hello and welcome to our BMJ Clinical Podcast. Here on Walsh's My Name, I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. I help look after BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. This podcast is about Coxiella. You should learn about how to recognise, report and refer affected patients. You should also be able to better answer patient questions at the end. Coxiella infection was first described in abattoir workers in Australia in 1935. It was called Q fever at the time. The Q stood for query, as they didn't know the cause. The only alternative was abattoir fever, which is perhaps not such an attractive name. Now, if you have a query about Coxiella, then we have a real expert at hand, Dr. Mathieu Million. Dr. Million is a senior lecturer and hospital practitioner at the Infectious Diseases Unit, Centre Expert du Microbiote Humain in Marseille. So, Mathieu, welcome. It would be great if you could start off by telling us what exactly is Coxiella. It's an uh, intracellular bacteria, and the reservoir is mainly the co-goat and sheep, but mainly sheep and goats transmit the disease to humans. One of uh, the main points with this infection is that the, the bacterium is spread out during delivery and, and uh, from pasteurization and birth products from animals. And you can find uh, up to 10 to the 9 bacteria by milliliters from birth products. So this is a huge bacterial load. And so you can understand that people that are exposed to birth products can, can uh, be infected. But the bacteria can form pseudospores. Pseudospores are like not, not exactly spore, but very resistant form of the bacteria. And it can spread from about 10 kilometers. So you don't need to be in close contact to animals to get infected. You can pass just around the farm or up to 10 kilometers and you can become infected. So don't try to have this, uh, this close contact with animals. And the wind is important because with the wind, it can spread uh, uh, further. So that direct contact is not necessary. Humans become mainly infected by inhalation, but uh, you can also get infected by ticks, ingestion of infect- infected food, and sexual transmission, uh, even if it is uh, completely exceptional. The, the main route is inhalation. Yes, and how, how would you recognize an affected patient? An affected patient, you will have a patient that will have a primary infection, but most of people with primary infection will not be symptomatic. Only about 40% of people will have symptoms. The symptomatic primary infection is mainly isolated fever and prolonged fever, more than four weeks, and or pneumonia, pneumonia, and or hepatitis. So there there are the main three forms of the primary infection. Uh, Usually people will cure with or without antibiotics from primary infection. There are some uh, severe primary infections that uh, should be recognized, but the main risk of the infection is the persistent focalized infection. The bacteria is able to persist in the body in less than 5% of people, but when 
when when it persists, it can be in the cardiac valve or in the vessels. It it can persist for years, and years after, it can kill the human by endocarditis and vascular rupture. This is a great risk, and it's also a great risk because people will not diagnose it because it is a stealthy, a stealthy microbe. It will replicate silently. So uh, it can give blood culture negative endocarditis, and there are some other forms of other persistent focalized infections, as lymphadenitis, and it is important because we recently show that it can lead to lymphoma. There are osteoarticular infections, arthritis, osteitis, and there is a specific situation with uh, complicated pregnancy. Uh, all the complications of uh, pregnancy and also malformation. So but this is a special uh, situation. Yes, and what tests would you request? The most uh, important diagnosis mean is by serology. So the serology by immunofluorescent assay remains for decades decade the gold standard to diagnose both acute and persistent focalized infection. So immunofluorescent assay will give you the titer of immunoglobulin G, A, and M, and for two phases, phase one and phase two. This is the gold standard. Recently, you can also use the PCR to detect the DNA of the bacteria on the serum and on any tissue, but it, it can be early, earlier than the serology because uh, serology takes up from two weeks to six weeks to become positive. So six weeks is very long. So PCR can be uh, very interesting when you are very early in the disease. And uh, we recently developed a new technique that is lyophilization of the serum before PCR, and this is even more sensitive. But just for take-home message, just remember, I ask for a serology and a PCR at my uh, at my laboratory. And if negative, if I am convinced that it is fever, I, I I should ask one other time in uh, in two weeks after because it can take time to 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 seroconvert it. Another point: I don't wait the serology to be positive if I believe this is acute Q fever. Like for Lyme disease, for the primary infection by Borrelia burgdorferi, if I am convinced it is acute Q fever, I treat accordingly with doxycycline. And so this is the, the, the next point, how to treat it. So for an acute Q fever, most of patients will cure spontaneously, spontaneously. So if people have not complications and they are cured, there are no need for treatment. If they are symptomatic, you can give two to three weeks of doxycycline. But the most important is to detect complicated forms. For acute Q fever, there is there are some complicated 
presentation like uh, neurological com uh, complications, meningitis, encephalitis. You can have some um, hematological complications like hemophagocytic syndrome. You, you can have uh, strong liver um, involvement, severe hepatitis. So, for the general uh, presentation, two to three weeks of doxycycline is okay. If you have endocarditis or a vascular infection on native valve or native vessel, it's 18 months of doxycycline, 200 milligrams per day, and hydroxychloroquine, it's pills of 200 milligrams three times a day. So, 18 months, if there is no material, no prosthesis, if you had a prosthesis or material, it's 24 months. Because we show that when there is prosthetic material, the rate of recurrence of relapse will be uh, higher, and so a longer treatment is necessary. There are special situations. Recently, we show that the presence of antiphospholipid antibodies during acute Q fever was associated with uh, the, uh, a very high risk of complication. All the complications of the antiphospholipid syndrome, that is cardiac valve involvement, thrombosis, thrombopenia, but also neurological involvement. So we advise to give doxycycline plus hydroxychloroquine till the disappearance of the antiphospholipid marker. This is a very recent protocol. And the marker of antiphospholipid syndrome are the following. First, a positive immunoglobulin G anticarbulipine or a positive immunoglobulin M anticarbulipine or a prolonged activated partial thromboplastin time ratio uh, over 1.5 or a lupus anticoagulant. If you have this with acute Q fever, we advise to give doxycycline plus hydroxychloroquine. This will lower the level of antiphospholipid antibody and lower the risk of antiphospholipid associated complication. When the antiphospholipid marker uh, has disappeared, you stop all the treatment. There is another special situation important that is acute Q fever in a person that has valvulopathy. If the cardiac valve is unhealthy, if you have a prosthesis or um, moderate uh, mitral insufficiency, we advise 12 months of B therapy by doxycycline and hydroxychloroquine, and this prevents in all cases the progression to endocarditis. And this is very important. It's better to prevent it because when you have endocarditis, it, you can you can die and it can be very complicated to treat. So, 20, 12 months of BTRP to prevent progression to endocarditis in patients with acute Q fever and valvulopathy. And the last situation is pregnancy. Pregnancy, you should always refer to a specialized center because it is very complicated to, to manage pregnant women.
Should you refer affected patients, and if so, how urgently? Uh, if it, it is a simple form, acute Q fever without any complication, you don't need to refer. You can treat, uh, as, as, as I said before, but in any complicated form, you must refer. For example, during acute Q fever, if there is neurological involvement or cardiac lesion or severe hematological uh, lesion like hemophagocytic syndrome, you must refer, and you must refer for all persistent focalized infections, mainly cardiovascular, but also lymphadenitis and neurology. Uh, How can you tell coxiella infection from common differentials? So this is also a very good question because there, there is no specific sign. And so uh, systematic screening should be uh, performed in front of prolonged fever, pneumonia, hepatitis. But there are some uh, features that can uh, that are such suggestive of coccylabonity infection. These features are specifically prolonged Activated partial thrombopathy time, thrombocytopenia, and uh, a slight hepatitis. When you have this feature, you can uh, suspect more than usual coxylabonity infection, but as in medicine, no signs are fully predictive. Okay, thank you, Matthew. That's, that's very helpful. Are there any recent advances that healthcare professionals should know about coxiella? The, the two main recent advances for the disease, first, were, was the role of antiphospholipid antibodies in the pathogenesis of the cardiovascular disease and in the complication of the acute Q fever. So we advise to, 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 to test antiphospholipid antibody in uh, every acute Q fever patient. The second point, and I, I didn't speak of it before, is that in patients that have uh, increasing serology after acute Q fever. And when you suspect a persisting focalized infection, but transthoracic and transesophageal echocardiography are negative, we advise positron emission tomography. Positron emission tomography is very useful in the screening of persistent focalized infection. If you had one single piece of advice, to give to a healthcare professional about coxiella infection, what would it be? Uh, so if I have only one word to say, it's uh, do not neglect it, be aware of it, and systematically test it in, uh, in ad- adequate situations. And you, you will diagnose Q-fever and you will uh, save life of patients. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Million, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognise, report, and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning to look at the content on Coxiella. And if you like this podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thank you once again. <music>